Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. NFL Week 15 in the books. We now have two games remaining for every team. And the New Orleans Saints effectively punched their ticket for the number one overall seed in the NFC playoffs. Means they'll never have to play outside for the rest of the year. All they need to do to ensure that is win one of their final two. They've got the Steelers coming to town on Sunday. And then next week, uh, the week after that, when they will play against the Panthers again, it feels like Cam Newton is done. It feels like the Carolina Panthers are done. It feels like Ron Rivera may, in fact, be done. All because of a fourth-quarter touchdown run by Alvin Kamara that sounded a little bit of something like this on the New Orleans Saints radio network. Second down and three. Saints to the Carolina 16-yard line, 12-20. They trail by one. Breeze is under center. He's going to give the handoff to Kamara out to the right side. Lots of room. Running towards the front pylon. Walks into the end zone. And the Saints with their first touchdown of the night. 16 yards, Alvin Kamara. All right, that was the, the game-winning touchdown for the Saints. There were only two touchdowns scored in the game overall. One more should have been fumble out of the back of the end zone or side of the end zone instead by the Saints. But they hang on to win 12-9. And now, as we do on every single Tuesday, cue the music, boys. Let's dive into top five and bottom five. I'll start off in the bottom five, and honestly, there's been a lot of elevation at the bottom of the NFL. You know, usually there's a one in fifteen team, or there is you know the two and fourteen, occasionally even an zero and sixteen team. A couple of teams that are jockeying at the bottom and are just awful. I don't really think we are there this year. Even the bad teams have gotten decent wins. The Arizona Cardinals go on the road and beat the Green Bay Packers. The Oakland Raiders beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. But we do have to have the list of sadness. And so we'll start off with the bottom five. In the 28th spot in the NFL, I have got the Detroit Lions. The Lions lose 14-13, I believe, was the final on the road against the uh Buffalo Bills. It's been an ugly debut for Matt Patricia. I've got the Lions at 28 in the league in the 29 spot. I've got the San Francisco 49ers. I know they got a win over the Seattle Seahawks, but they're still setting, I believe, at 4-10, and 10, if I'm not mistaken, even with a couple of wins down the stretch. Nick Mullins probably made himself some money. Don't hear a lot of people saying he's the next coming of Jimmy Garoppolo, but Consider undrafted free agent the performance that he's had since Garoppolo got injured, since C.J. Beathard got interest, uh, got injured. Pretty big turnaround uh, for the 49ers in terms of those wins. I've got them at the 29 spot. 30th 
best team in the NFL out of 32. I've got the Oakland Raiders. The Bay Area continues to take it on the chin this year. In the 31st spot, and this is one that is staggering, I think, if we've been able to fast forward when they were sitting at 3-1 and one, or even when they started the season after they nearly made the Super Bowl last year, Jacksonville Jaguars have fallen apart. When you lose to the Washington Redskins at home and blow a 10-point lead, you are plummeting all the way to 31 on my list. And at 32, I have got the Arizona Cardinals as they get ready in hour one. We talked to Charles Davis about the Rams about to go on the road and play against the Cardinals. The Cardinals just got walloped by the by the Atlanta Falcons. When you get whipped by the Falcons like the Cardinals did, it's hard to defend them. There is my bottom five. Lions, 49ers, Raiders, Jags, and Cardinals all in order there. Okay, what about the top five? All right, I'll start at the top on the top five. Saints have to be your number one overall team. The defense on the Saints, I believe, has stepped up in a big way and fundamentally changed the narrative of this season. There's been a lot of focus on Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and also uh, certainly uh, Ingram, Mark Ingram at the running back position. A lot of explosiveness on this Saints offense, but it's the defense which has been the best defense in the NFL since week 10. Last five weeks of the season, best defense, the Saints, best combination of an explosive offense and an incredibly uh, shut down defense, the Saints. In my second spot, it may fall all the way to the number five seed in the AFC, but I have got the Chargers, the LA Chargers coming off their win over the Chiefs. I've got the Chargers at the number two spot right now in the uh, in my outkick top five. Remember the Chargers now gone on the road and won at Pittsburgh, gone on the road and won in Kansas City. I've got the Chargers as the second best team in the NFL. In the three spot, Kansas City Chiefs, tough loss, two-point conversion. They should have won that game. They were up 14 with about five minutes to play at home. Now they need to go on the road and establish that they're not going to fall all the way to the five seed and lose their division. They have to beat the Seahawks. Uh, in the four spot, Chicago Bear fans saying, I'm not giving enough praise to the Bears. Well, I'm slotting them at number four now overall. They just beat the Rams, which is why I've got them above the Rams in conjunction with the fact that the Rams looked so bad uh, against the uh, Eagles on uh, Sunday night football. So I've got the Bears at four, the Rams at five, in the sixth spot, I've got the Houston Texans sitting at 10 and 4 pick'em game coming up against the Eagles and at 7 I went ahead and did a top 7 I have got the Patriots. Uh Danny G any thoughts on either of these? Oh, I think we can't argue with your bottom 5 there. What I will say about the Bay Area even though it's been a factory of sadness what about the tight ends there in San Francisco and Oakland? Cook and Kittle, and even the backup tight ends, Lee and Selleck, the best players on the field there in the Bay Area. As far as the top, it's crazy that the Chargers are in second place. And a lot of us who have questioned the Chargers need to apologize to them because they have really jumped off the TV screen all season. And everyone's saying that, you know, they can't finish a season strong. They sure have finished this season strong. Yeah, they're sitting at 10 and 1. They've got a couple of games left. The Ravens, obviously, with major playoff implications coming into town this weekend. And then I believe they finish with, who do they finish with? They go on the road against Denver, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, meanwhile, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I believe, obviously go on the road against Seattle this weekend. And then I think they finish with the Raiders, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that battle, and again, I've made it clear, I think it's dumb that the NFL gives division winners automatic preference. I would just seed one to six and give the two best teams a bye, even if they happen to come from the same division. If anything, that speaks to how tough the division is since uh, they've split these games. So if they'd only had to play each other once, they would each have potentially uh, a lot less uh, to, to worry about. Uh, but instead, this division is so so tough at the top, the AFC West, that they have to play against each other twice. And uh, I just think it's unfair to have the two best teams. And I think it's it's clear that the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, and the L.A. Chargers are the two best teams in the AFC right now. Makes no sense that one of them is probably going to get the overall number one seed and the other one is going to get the five seed. Both of these teams should get home playoff uh, games. We should stop with giving. I'm fine with giving an automatic bid if you win your division. 
Zero issues with that. But let's say that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers end up winning their division. They could win their division with an 8-7-1 and one record. And they could force the 13-3 and three, can't, uh, 13 and three uh, uh, of the uh, Chargers to travel all the way across the country and play in Pittsburgh again, even though the Chargers have already won their once. It just doesn't make sense to me that we would require that to be an issue. doesn't make sense to me at all. But that is the top five and the bottom five. We do it every single Tuesday on OutKick. I think the top seven teams I just ran through, the Saints, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Bears, the Rams, the Texans, and the Patriots, I think it's hard to quibble with those seven teams right now as the best seven teams as we come down the home stretch. Be sure to catch live editions of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, One of the controversies coming out of Monday Night Football last night, even though it didn't end up impacting the overall game, ended 12-9 with the New Orleans Saints basically, let's be honest, locking up home uh, field advantage throughout the playoffs, barring a complete collapse at home the next two weeks, which is difficult to foresee. Uh, as a result, uh, the Saints managed to overcome fumbling the ball into the end zone as they were going in for a score that would have put the game away with about, uh, what, a minute and a half left in that football game last night. If you were the czar of football, Danny G, what change would you make? The change I would make is simple. I would keep the rule the same no matter where you are on the field. You fumble the ball, and the ball, wherever it goes out of bounds is right there so if you fumble uh going into the end zone the last place you could have i'm fine honestly with also saying if you fumble into the end zone or out the back of the end zone putting it at the 10 yard line or something like that and making it a a goal to go situation as far from the goal line as you can while still making it a goal to goal situation go to goal to go situation basically treating it like a penalty what about you yeah, before I tell you what I think about the rule, it's kind of ironic. I wanted to play something for you really quick because we talked about this exactly one year ago to the day yesterday because on Sunday Night Football, there was 30 seconds left. Probably remember this. Carr scrambled to the goal line against the Cowboys. He stretched out to win the game, and this happened. Carr, under pressure, avoids the sack, and he's going to try to run it in. Oh, he's going to lose the ball. Yeah, did he lose the ball? Does it go out of the end zone? Does he lose the ball? The Cowboys are signaling for a touchback. Is that the runner fumbled forward through the end zone and out of the end zone? Touchback. The ruling on the field is a touchback. First down, Dallas. Yep. Yeah, it's the wrong call no matter yeah. when it's happening. Would your solution be? I remember having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's one that we shouldn't continue to have. And something that should get fixed. Al Michaels' final, final words there was, can you believe that? And, and, and my lasting image is Marshawn Lynch jumping up and down, freaking out at the goal line. It should, I think it should be a 10-yard penalty. That's it. Simple. Doesn't punish players for stretching out, sacrificing their bodies if they're trying to make an athletic move. Why would you punish a player for making a move to try to score a touchdown? Yeah, I agree there, too. Uh, Eddie Garcia, what would you do if you were the czar of football to solve this? Well, I I would settle for anything other than what the rule is now. If you want to put it at the 20, I think that's too much, but I would even settle for that. Anything to change what it is now, because I absolutely hate that rule. I've hated it for years. It never made any sense to me. I have no idea why there's no appetite to change it. So uh, you want to put it out at the 2, the 5, the 10, the 20. I don't care, but just don't make it a touchback. Yeah, it's brutal, and not... Not just for people like me who were gambling on this game uh, because it, you easily had the cover there. And at minimum, you had the push. If they had just lined up and kicked the field goal, it would have been you know a, uh, a tough push because you feel like the Saints should score there. But at least you wouldn't have had the ridiculousness of the Panthers covering. What about you, uh, Dub? How would you solve this? I'm with you guys. I think it's totally ridiculous. I mean, why would the NFL discourage its best athletes on the edge trying to dive in an exciting play to get to the pylon? It's not just the NFL. I mean, I'm sure this happens all the time in high school. I'm sure it happens all the time in college football. I think it's something that is endemic to all of football that should be adjusted. I don't even know why the rule would have ever started this way. Roberto, do you make it unanimous? Oh, yeah, unanimous. The outkick Supreme Court. Yeah, they got The outkick Supreme Court all agrees that the rule should be changed. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. 
we go ahead and bring in Andy Staples. He's at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter, Sports Illustrated writer. And uh, the news that comes out yesterday that Justin Fields, a former five-star quarterback recruit who uh, would be the second five-star quarterback recruit alongside of Jacob Eason, who's now at Washington, to transfer because Jake Fromm won the job and they don't see any way to beat him out. Do you think Fields will end up uh, leaving? And thanks uh, for waking up with us and uh, hanging out, Andy. I I would think he would. I mean, it, it certainly felt like when we were watching that SEC championship game that that he kept getting put in for reasons that are basically, hey, please don't transfer. Yeah. But I just don't, I, I don't see a path here for him because, you know, with – I was surprised that Jalen Hurts stayed with Tua Tungvaluwa winning the job, but at least, you know, he he's the backup. We, we know he's the backup. Uh, we don't know if Tua is going to get hurt and Tua ended up getting hurt and, and Jalen got to play. But Prom's been pretty, pretty hardy through the, the his time as starter, and I just I don't know. I mean, he seems to be getting better in that offense. I just don't see where where Fields would fit, and Fields could go start pretty much anywhere. I mean, there, there are a lot of places that are going to need a quarterback, and you, you look at all the schools that were going after Fields coming out of high school. I mean, he would have a, an unbelievable list of places that he could go. When you look, and I'm glad you mentioned the fact that he was playing during the season, and it wasn't just in mop-up duty. I remember watching him play against the Gators in the cocktail party where I thought to myself, this is actually hindering the overall Georgia offense because Fromm is so good right now at, at being the quarterback. And it seemed like that, that Kirby Smart was playing him and had designed a package almost entirely and expressly so that he wouldn't transfer did you get that sense watching the Georgia Bulldogs this year as well that that Kirby was calling plays and bringing him in and creating that package almost as a sign like, hey, I, I swear one day it's going to be your team, but we need you now to try to keep him around? It didn't really feel that way until the SEC championship game where it felt that, like they were kind of shoehorning it in. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think back to that Tennessee game, it actually worked. I mean, when, when he came in, it, it felt like it was natural and it felt like it was – it was helping the offense, but it, it, you you know the SEC championship game, the the next to last drive where where basically they take the ball out of Fromm's hands twice. Yep. When it's tied and they need to score, it just didn't make any sense. And the fake punt thing was not see the fake punt thing was was bad. Not fair to Fromm. Not fair to Fields. I mean, putting the guy in in a, in a situation where you can see the Alabama players pointing at him. Yeah. on the fake punt. Well, by the way, it's not a good sign to be there when you bring in your backup quarterback for the punt coverage. It's kind of a glaring, hey, like guys, we're about to run a fake here, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's like it, it, you're hoping that he doesn't get noticed that he's on the field, but it's kind of self evident. Isn't it hard to miss the six five, two hundred twenty five pound dude wearing number one? You would think. <laughs> That Alabama recruit, tried to recruit, and pretty much everybody in the country tried to recruit. It, it was one of the worst. I mean, it wasn't quite the Indianapolis Colts uh, Pagano fake where they, I think you know they lined up with like one center over the one of the worst uh, play calls of all time. But given the circumstances, I think this was a worse fake punt because effectively, I don't. We didn't talk about this, but I, effectively, I think that gave Alabama the championship, right? I mean, because it well, gave yeah, them a half he, field. He Pen him deep, and, and you ask Jalen Hurts to go 90, 85 yards. And rely on Alabama's there. kicking, which is the right, one Achilles exactly. heel that they've always had. I mean, they missed a field goal to go to, to win it in regulation against Georgia last year, you know, in the national championship game. I want Alabama lining up for a pressure-packed field goal more so than almost anybody because they haven't made them. Yeah. I mean, we saw that last year in the, in the national championship game. They had a it wasn't a chip shot, but a fairly easy field goal to win in regulation, and they missed it. So, yeah, I mean, pinning them deep probably would have given them a chance. And, you know, the, the autopsy on that SEC championship game is just going to get worse if Fields transfers. I mean, because you, you, you think about those two times you took the ball out of Jake Fromm's hands when he's having the game of his life are for naught. No, you're I exactly mean, right. You didn't even get what you wanted out of that. No, you're you're preaching to the choir here for sure. You're talking to Andy. We're talking to Andy Staples uh, at Andy underscore Staples on SI. You can find him there. 
A lot of talk in addition to what's going to happen with Justin Fields. A lot of talk about the college football playoff expanding to eight teams. What do you think happens? What do you think should happen? It's going to expand to eight eventually, but not nearly as soon as everybody hopes. Uh, I, I see people saying, oh, they can do it by 2000. No, they can't. There's a, there's a whole lot to unwind with the TV contract. And remember, you know, ESPN has to be on board with it, which I actually see a path where ESPN's on board with it because this is the first thing that's going to give ESPN some leverage where they can say, well, hey, you know, we have this thing under contract, but we might be willing to adjust it if you guys would give us a little five, six more years. Um, so, you know, I don't think they necessarily have to wait until the end of this contract, which is seven years from now. But I think it's going to take them a few years to figure out exactly how it will work. And I know, you know, my my co-host on SiriusXM, Jason Horowitz, always says, well, if you go to eight, it still has to be best eight, just like it's best four now. I don't think that's what would happen. I think you would have automatic bids for all the Power Five conference champs. I think there'd be an automatic bid for the highest-ranked group of five champ, and then you'd have you'd have two wild cards. And I think you have to do that just to get everybody to agree on it. Um, that's the compromise that, that you would have to make. Now, what I would do if I were running a conference, and if they created a system where there were auto bids, you know, I would try to make my championship game as exciting and, and meaningful as possible by ditching my divisions and doing what the Big 12 does and just doing number one versus number two so that, you know, I don't have a big thief situation. Like, imagine if Northwestern had beaten Ohio State and there was an auto bid for the Big Ten, Big Ten champ. I mean, you'd have Northwestern in the playoff that lost to Akron. I don't know that, that anybody but Northwestern would have wanted that. The Big Ten wouldn't have wanted that. They want a team that can that can get in there and, and probably compete. So I would ditch divisions if that happened and keep my championship game fairly robust. Because remember, the SEC is not you – know, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, they just get rid of conference championship games and put the quarterfinals that weekend. That is not going to happen. The SEC is never going to agree to a plan that eliminates a conference championship game. We're talking to Andy Staples at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter. You can find him there. What do you think should happen with UCF and this Florida feud? I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, the emails that oh, came yeah. out. Florida offered a, a two, two games for one. That seems like a completely reasonable offer from Florida. UCF, I think, got all huffy about that. Uh, what do you think about uh, th- that situation in general? I think they should, UCF should play him. Yeah. Play him and beat him. That, that'd be good for you. I mean... Really, it, it, there's not a lot in it for Florida to even offer. I agree. Because I was stunned that they offered it. Offer to Florida. Yeah. But if you're UCF and someone says, hey, you can come to our what, – what, what does it mean if you go to the Swamp and win? Twice. I mean, that, that would be huge for your program. And uh, I, I look at another program in the state of Florida that became what it became because – they would go anywhere and play anybody anytime. That's Florida State. Bobby Bob didn't care. You know, you, you want us to come to, to Lincoln, Nebraska? Okay, we'll come beat you. You want us to come to Baton Rouge? Okay, we'll come beat you. That, that's the way you have to do it. I mean, you can say we're power six and, and, you know, we're the same as you all you want, but the market decides, and the market doesn't think you're power or anything yet. So you got to go win those games. And, you know, look, UCF's not going to be undefeated forever. They're not going to be able to keep this pace up. So schedule some games like that. Go win them. And then when realignment comes in the next round of TV contracts, you're going to get scooped up. I think it's a no-brainer. I was stunned that they that they feuded over that. I, I couldn't believe that Florida offered it. I thought it was a hell of an olive branch. I thought they should have been all in on it. We're talking to Andy Staples at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter. Uh, let's go into the college football playoff games. Uh, next week, uh, finally, we'll get to them on uh, the 29th, which I think is going to surprise some people uh, because oh, it's, it's close gonna to come Christmas. Fast. Yeah, it's going to be here soon. Uh, which game are you going to, first of all? And secondly, which game do you think will be a better game to watch for fans? I've got the Orange Bowl. I think, I think there's a potential for both to be pretty entertaining. But I think... Alabama, there's a lot more ways for Alabama to, to control the Orange Bowl. I, I think Notre Dame has a good chance of, of throwing the ball on Clemson and making that game fun. I, I still think Clemson probably winds up winning because they just got more of everything. 
But, you know, you look at where Clemson is the weakest, and that's in the secondary. And then Notre Dame has those big receivers. They've got Alizé, Alizé Jones, who is a – or, I'm sorry, Alizé Mack is his last name now. Um, but he's, you know, 6'5", 260, and can run. Uh, I just think that they can exploit where Clemson is most deficient, and it will – require Clemson's defensive line to really just be all over Ian Book. Now, if they if they do that, then all of a sudden it's going to be a Clemson blowout. But Notre Dame's offensive line has been pretty good all season. I think Book's going to have time to throw, so I think that game could be pretty interesting. As for the Orange Bowl, Oklahoma's going to score on Alabama. I, I, don't, I know people think, oh, you know, it's Alabama's defense, they're going to shut up. No, no, no. This is, one, this is not the best Alabama defense we've seen in the last few years. Two, Oklahoma's offense is fantastic and can score on anybody. So they're going to score, but here's the problem. Oklahoma's defense is so bad that Alabama should be able to score almost every time it touches the ball. And if I'm, if I'm them, I go really risk-averse and just run the ball until Oklahoma stops me. And then every once in a while I might mix in some play action. Uh, but, but really, you might not need to do much else, and you can control the clock and control the game. What are you hearing about Tua? How, I mean, I know they've put the video out of him working. Saban has said he's ahead of schedule. I don't even understand. You may. You played. Have you heard of this idea of arthroscopically treating a high ankle sprain? I don't even see exactly what Alabama is doing here. Maybe their technology and their science is truly just ahead of everybody else. But Tua looked pretty decent, you know. Obviously, in uh, in his uh, sneaker and I guess low top cleats or whatever in the in some of the early prep work for the bowl game. Do you think he's going to be okay? You think he'll be able to play the entire game? Well, I mean, this is the same thing they had with Jalen Hurts earlier this year, where, where Hurts had an ankle sprain, and they did the same procedure, and it's it's tracking the same as far as time. It was basically two weeks until he could practice and then two more weeks until he played. And, and so it's almost exactly the same time frame. So if it's, if it's similar to what Hurts had, then he should be fine by the time they start playing. But the thing is, you know, it, it seemed like Tua was kind of perpetually hurt in the back, you know, third of the season. So, you know, can he hold up? If he gets hit a few times, what happens? You know, is, is he going to be hobbled? Is he going to be limited? And the thing is... What you saw at the end of the SEC championship game is if he's limited, they should have no problem going to Jalen Hurts, and he can win them this game. You know, they, they don't need Tua to beat Oklahoma. They can win with Jalen Hurts. If they have a healthy Tua, then it could get pretty ugly. You're Lincoln Riley's agent. The NFL is going to come knocking on your door potentially as early. If it's, I'm sure it's already happening, but if you lose to Alabama on December 29th, on December 30th, it's going to be a good day to be Lincoln Riley's agent. What advice do you give him about the NFL, about the opportunities he may have elsewhere with what he's done at Oklahoma in the past two years and how just finally the college football laboratory seems to have arrived in the NFL and people are like, oh, a lot of this stuff actually works. Maybe we should go get the people who do it the best. So Lincoln Riley's actual agent uh, is Trace Armstrong. He used yep. to run the NFL Players Association. So he's pretty well-versed in, in everything at that level as well. And what I would tell Lincoln Riley is, if you would like to make the jump, make sure it's your dream job. You know, Lincoln Riley's from Mule Shoot, Texas, so let's say if the Cowboys job opened up, which I don't even, I don't even think it is at this point, but, but hypothetically, the Cowboys job opens up. That's the one you take. Or if you always wanted to coach Aaron Rodgers, you know, if the Packers come, come calling, go for it. But do not just take an NFL job to take an NFL job. You have a better job in college than most NFL jobs. And, in fact, the Oklahoma job, in terms of working conditions and uh, fan expectations and everything else, may be the best of the super jumbo premium jobs in college. And we know Lincoln Riley's working on trying to make that defense better. He, he revamped the recruiting operation in Oklahoma pretty much as soon as he replaced Bob Stoops. So I think that part of it's coming. And I, I, Barry Switzer had a really funny tweet, and I actually ran into Barry when I was in Norman and asked him about it, and he kind of expounded upon it. And it was the day that the Browns fired Hugh Jackson, and everybody was saying, well, oh, Lincoln Riley, he can coach Baker again. And what Barry Switzer said basically was, yeah, you can go 
to the Browns, but in three or four years when it doesn't work out, the Oklahoma job isn't going to be there. There are more people who want the Oklahoma job than who want the Cleveland Browns job. So consider that before you do anything. And I know that Joe Castiglione and the AD at Oklahoma is going to write the check that keeps Lincoln Riley. So if I'm Lincoln Riley, I don't move unless it is absolutely perfect. We're talking to Andy Staples at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter, continuing with Lincoln Riley. Um, how much do you think the Heisman Trophy will play into the result on the field between Oklahoma and Alabama? Do you think Nick Saban will turn that into an added layer of motivation? And for people out there who don't believe that's possible, uh, I would argue that Nick Saban is a motivation master. And a second part of that, we were just talking about Lincoln Riley. Do you think that Lincoln Riley just caught lightning in a bottle and Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are two of the most supremely talented quarterbacks he could find anywhere and they fit his system perfectly, or is his system just that good that they can take even mediocre quarterbacks and turn them into outstanding quarterbacks? How would you assess that kind of uh, vibe overall? All right, to your first question, we were actually joking at the Heisman ceremony as soon as it happened that finally Alabama has some actual disrespect. Yes, that Nick Saban can play. play the disrespect card. Yes. It's funny because... It, 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 you know, we always have to interview the, the Alabama players before they play in the semis or before they play in the national title game. And it is funny to hear them try to gin up disrespect because everybody respects Alabama. Everybody thinks Alabama is awesome. Yeah. So when you hear players say, well, oh, nobody believes in us, you're like, what? what, what You've been what? favored in like a hundred straight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have actual disrespect. You have people voting and they didn't choose Alabama's guy. And they chose Oklahoma's guy. And Alabama's defense gets to play against Oklahoma's guy. So, yeah, that's real. They're going to be ticked off. And, uh, you know, I don't know that it, that it changes much. Because, look, it's not like Alabama has, has had a lack of motivation in the playoffs in the past. And they've not really come out, you know, not fired up for any playoff game I've watched them play in. So I, I don't worry too much about it. But, yes, it makes Nick Saban's job easier because, Nobody has to manufacture anything. It's real. <laughs> the disrespect in this particular case is real. And then, you know, with Lincoln Riley, I think it's a little bit of both in terms of is it his system or is it the quarterbacks? I think Baker and, and Kyler Murray are special in different ways. And you did see him, you saw Lincoln Riley adjust his offense to fit what, what each one did well, you know, because Kyler's ability to run. Is, is different and and makes him very different than Baker. So I think I think it's more the quarterbacks in the system, but the system uh, is is flexible to fit the quarterback. Now, what will be interesting is what happens next year because they they've got Austin Kendall in the pipeline, or do they go go get a graduate transfer? Justin Fields, for example. Um, you know what? What if Jalen Hurts decides he wants to go somewhere? I mean, they, there could be options out there for them. And they've proven that transfer quarterbacks can do very well there. So uh, I'll be curious about that. And, and the Fields thing, we, we didn't get to it. We were talking about it. But, you know, he's an undergraduate, so normally you'd have to sit out of here. I think that he, he would have a very good chance of getting a waiver from the NCAA to play right away. Because do you remember that the, the dumb Georgia baseball player yes. at the Tennessee game who, who was yelling? I mean, this is what he, he was heard yelling, put the – N-word in, except they actually said the word, and he was referring to Justin Fields. He wound up getting kicked off the team, all this other stuff. But I said it that day. If Justin Fields wants to transfer and play next year, he can, because the way the NCAA has written the transfer guidelines as of this past April is anything that um, is outside the player's control that could affect the uh, health, safety, or well-being of the player must be considered in a waiver request. And it's what Shea Patterson and the other Ole Miss guys used to play right away this year. So if you can do that because of a bowl ban, you can absolutely do that because some some dude did that. I, I don't see how the NCAA would ever deny that, and I don't see how Georgia would ever fight that. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Andy Staples, thanks for getting up early with us, my man, and uh, I'll see you down at the Orange Bowl. All right, Clay. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I believe we have some Taylor Swift music to bring up here for Petros Papadakis. There we go. Twice. 
as he comes in with us now. Huge Taylor Swift fan. Petros, you going to watch her concert on Netflix? I just can't get enough of her. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of the same way as you. She's got a big concert coming up on Netflix, um, along with Bruce Springsteen. Are you a Springsteen guy? I went and saw Bruce Springsteen a couple times. I'm not a huge like fan. I can't name the playlist on the album The River. But I went and saw him, and I've never seen when the lights came up, I've never seen so many white people with their <laughs> arms up at once. Like, I've never been to a Promise Keepers rally or anything yeah. like that. But I'd imagine it's like that. I mean, I have never seen so many middle-aged white dudes so excited ever, including Jim Rome, who was in the crowd, as when I went to a Bruce Springsteen concert. I'm not a Springsteen guy. I don't really have that much of a feel. You should go, because it's a great American experience. It really is. He puts on a three-hour show, and while he's still alive, everybody should do it. Yeah, I know he's just been playing on Broadway in New York City, and they've got the Netflix concert special that's going to be on. I'm actually going to watch the concert special on television just to see, like, what have I been missing all these years to see whether or not I think it's worth going. Um, But... uh, as uh, and we're joined down by Petros Papadakis at the old P on Twitter at Petros and Money Show AM five seventy LA Sports, uh, really successful show rolling there. When you're kind of in this part of the season, I was just saying it's a clear sign that you don't like your family if you are watching Monday Night Football next week, not this week, next week on Christmas Eve. If you are watching, and I, I give an exception. If it were like a really good game and it really mattered, the final Monday night football game of the year is the Denver Broncos at the Oakland Raiders. Do you agree with me that that's a sign you just don't like your family if you are like just plopped down on the couch, 8.15 Eastern time, making sure you don't miss a snap of that game? Well, you have to understand. And I saw you send a tweet the other day that said that you were disproportionately excited yes. about the Titans versus Giants no, Titans game. Giants game, which is just the worst game ever. And it even felt like it when you watch that game on television, it was like 38 degrees and raining fog. I mean, it was, I can't even, I would not have gone and sat in the crowd props to people who were willing to do it. But yes, I care way too much about whether the Tennessee Titans make the playoffs, but neither of those teams are remotely in the playoff race. Right. And there's a lot of Raider fans in Southern California. There has been my entire life. There's people that stop the world to watch the Raiders, and it's not going to make any difference how bad they are. They like to look at Chucky's face on the sideline. They love to scream at the TV just like anybody else. So people are going to watch it. I do not think people watching Denver versus the Raiders is proportionate to how much they like or dislike their family. I think it has more to do with what your plans are for Christmas Eve. Some people don't do anything on what Christmas Eve. What do you do Eve. for Christmas Eve? Well, Christmas Eve is when we throw our big party, because my dad's restaurant, I think, used to be open on Christmas Day. Yep. Not later in life, but just because it used to be Christmas Eve became the night that we threw the party, and I wake my mother up and make her take vodka shots. <laughs> it gets kind of ugly, but not as bad now that we have children. But I used to get pretty drunk on Christmas Eve. Uh, There are a lot of people who get together on Christmas Eve. Um, What do you do, by the way, with with your schedule, like your radio show? Do you take off multiple days during around the Christmas holiday? You ask the funniest questions. I'm curious. I don't know the answer. See, the reason why I'm asking is, I feel like, and and we are doing television on Christmas Eve, so people who care out there will do uh, a best of on Christmas Day, and then I'm going to take a couple of days off on a couple of days after Christmas because it's my experience that most people aren't working and listening to early morning radio during Christmas week. Like a lot of us people listening to us right now, like come Friday, they're just like dialing out and they're gone for the whole next week. And no, I, I always I take that, the week off. I have never not taken the week off between Christmas and New Year's. I've done it ever since yeah. I started doing radio. And what's and I just don't work. Yeah, what's interesting is I even found that on writing, right? Like when I started OutKick seven years ago, for the first several years, I'm like, oh, I got to keep putting up stuff during Christmas week. 
people don't read. Like, I don't know what people do with all of their time, but they're not even on their phones as much. But supposedly they watch more television. So I don't even know what the hell is supposed to be this story. But I definitely know that people don't get up as early in the morning and go into work. So I was curious what you did. Well, people get new stuff. Yeah. Start and playing they with play it. with their new stuff for a week, or they go somewhere for a week, or they stare at each other. Some families, like I, I came from a big family, so we have Christmas, and people just get drunker and dumber, and they eat more, and there's a lot of people around. But I got married, and my wife doesn't have much family at all, like a mother and a stepdad. And I did Christmas with them once, and it's amazing the way some people are. They just sit around a table and stare at each other. That's it. For hours. Yeah, that's tough. And it's like, wow, this is Christmas, huh? And it's very interesting. We all have very different traditions, although it's a very traditional holiday. We're talking to Petros Papadakis, breaking down Christmas holiday traditions. Uh, You can find him on Twitter, at Petros and Money, also at The Old P. Okay, uh, I ask you every week, and it drives you insane. Rams uh, got... Just they looked awful. Let's be honest. On Sunday night against the Eagles, they looked bad for three weeks. Yeah, they really did. Now the flip side is the Chargers have kind of surged up in the seesaw of the NFL, but there had to be some reaction to that performance by the Rams, and also some reaction to the performance by the Chargers because Thursday night football, national television, Philip Rivers put on a show there at the end of the game. Yeah, the last two weeks for the Chargers have been the best two weeks that I can remember for the Chargers since I was a kid, uh, coming back at Pittsburgh and winning and then coming back at Kansas City and winning, both in really gritty and gutty fashion. And you can say whatever you want about the fan base, the move, where they play, who shows up when they play, but the Chargers have a great head coach who's got balls, and he is a solid-ass dude in Anthony Lynn. And they have two coordinators that are former head coaches in Bradley and Wisenhunt. And they fill in gaps when people get hurt. Guys step up and play well. And they're pretty inspirational to watch. And I don't don't really have an affiliation with the Chargers. I mean, they're on our station. My partner is the play-by-play guy. Yep. But I've been watching the team just out of kind of interest over the whole year. And... They've kind of started to make me a bit of a believer to where they know how to deal with problems. Now, the Rams, on the other hand, are a bunch of superstars that are assembled, and when things are going great, that was cool. But now that they've lost a couple straight and they haven't played well in three straight and the quarterback doesn't seem to be throwing the magic bean anymore, they are kind of seeming to be sort of separating And I don't know if they'll be able to pull it together. They have two very winnable games down the stretch. And then they're going to have, I think they've already clinched. Yeah, they've already clinched. So they're going to have their shot. But the Chargers certainly seem just like more of a football team at this point. And as you know, in the NFL, we have a tendency to anoint and hype people up in September and October like Patrick Mahomes and and Jared Goff, and and certainly these teams were wonderful, but when it's coming to these big games down the stretch, uh, they're not winning. And for all the offense that people were touting and talking about and bowing down to at the beginning of the season, and the rules are definitely slanted toward the offense and there's way too many flags, defensive coordinators are still figuring it out, and they're still finding a way to stop people, and it's pretty darn impressive. Do you think that the Chargers, let's pretend that the Chargers win out and the uh, Chiefs lose one of their final two, could easily lose, for instance, uh, this game against the uh, the Seahawks next week, all right? Let's pretend that, that ends up uh, happening. Do you think the Chargers would play their playoff games in the uh, soccer stadium, or do you think they might potentially move it to, I don't know, the Coliseum or a bigger venue? Oh, I don't think they move it. I think their contract is their contract and their ticket holders are their ticket holders. I I would guess, even though I don't know what the protocol is, that it stays right there at the StubHub Center, which is going to be renamed, Clay. I heard. Yeah, the Dignity Health Center. 
Which, so you and I will not be able to go because we lack dignity. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a strange name for a stadium, but more power to them if they got more money for it, I guess. StubHub made a little bit more sense to me, but uh, you and I definitely have no dignity. Do you think that Philip Rivers has the dignity to win the MVP? Let's say that they go 13-3, and three, they win out, and they win the AFC West. I got the poll question up. The three finalists seem to be for the MVP award this year. Phillip Rivers, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, Drew Brees. Who would get your vote right now if you were voting for NFL MVP? I mean, I'd give it to Phil Rivers or, or Drew Brees because they're winning big games down the stretch. And it's not just about statistics. It's about, I mean, Philip Rivers has led his team the last couple of weeks without Melvin Gordon and without the backup to Melvin Gordon for a better part of a game and a half. Keenan Allen got hurt, the best receiver they have uh, for mo- more than half the game against uh, Kansas City in the cold. I mean, he made the throw of the century. Oh, that throw. I know you make fun of me because I always used to watch games and say, great throw. Um, yeah, nice catch. Yeah, nice catch. Really great analysis <laughs> from me. I should be calling games. But that fourth and eighth throw that Phillip Rivers made on the final drive against the Chiefs, it's an absolute thing of beauty. It's a masterpiece, wasn't it? Yeah, and, you know, he's an easy guy to root for. He's a little bit younger than me. I mean, I remember him playing when I was just right off the field, and he has more exuberance for a very hard sport and a very physically taxing sport than anybody I've ever seen. And he's excitable in interviews. He's self-deprecating. He's fun to be around. He's whooping and hollering with all the guys always. Uh, He's competitive. He has uh, unbelievable passion for flag football and calling plays for his son's flag football team. Yeah, that's awesome, too. And he will talk to you for five hours about it. Yeah. I mean, he'll start talking about, you know, who they beat down in uh, (laughs) North County, San Diego, and this and that. So he really is a, a marvel. And I know the Chargers have a murky situation with their franchise and just the way it was moved around and handled, I guess. But this guy is hard not to root for. And he's had a tendency to throw picks in big games down the stretch. That's kind of been the story later in his career. But it hasn't happened this year. Uh, He's a lot more efficient, I guess. I'm not really sure what the numbers are, but he just has something going on this year. The team seems to. And it helps to have guys like Joey Bosa on the defense and great rookies like Derwin James. Yeah, they're 10-1 and in their last 11. Only lost last-second field goal against the Broncos. Uh, they play against the Ravens, which is a massive game coming up this weekend in both the AFC West uh, for who will win that, but also for the AFC North. I mean, just a seismic game. I think that's a Saturday night game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he has nine kids. I believe, or eight kids and a ninth on the way. Some people are like that, Clay. You have two kids. Yes. What would it take for you to have nine? Uh, Let's assume your wife comes to you and says, you know what, Petros, uh, you know, the math's going to work out. I think we can get to nine over the next decade. Your thoughts immediately would be what? Well, first, I'd need a reverse vasectomy. Yeah, so you'd have to tap back out. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear that two kids were kicking my ass since yes. they snipped my balls already. Yes. I've got three. So what would what would you can you imagine having nine? No. No, I can't. But I also can't imagine flying an airplane. Yeah. Or skiing. <laughs> or swimming in the ocean. Swimming in the ocean. Or, you know, doing I really do, even though I'm not eight hundred pounds. I'm a little short of that. I live a little bit like an 800-pound man. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, by the way, it's Christmas season. I don't think. Well, we won't talk to you next week because it'll be so. Merry Christmas in advance here. Happy holidays. Whatever You're going you to give say. me the week off? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not working on Christmas. You're not working either. So, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, I'm curious. Uh, what do you watch? Are you a Christmas? Like you hate everything. Yeah. Are there any Christmas or holiday movies that you like? Die Hard. Uh, well, if you want to count, that's an amazing film. Yeah. What about a How Christmas? Could Die story? Hard. First of all, this is the dumbest subject in the world, and I'm I'm I hate myself for bringing it up. 
But how could Die Hard not be a Christmas movie? I agree with you a billion percent. He's got like Santa Claus tape on his back with the gun tape to his back where he shoots Hans. That's also why he went back to fly back to L.A. Yeah, and it ends with a Christmas movie yeah. uh, song. Yeah. I just, anyway. What, uh, what about a Christmas story? No, uh, uh, my radio partner's really into that, the oh, leg I mean, lamp I, and the whole thing. I think A Christmas Story is one of the greatest movies that was ever made. I can oh, watch I saw that, uh, so that many times. Mike Leach gave everybody on the team a leg lamp. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't even see that. Yeah, that's a pretty good story. I mean, the fact that the Christmas story is still proliferating through a football team in 2018 is kind of cool. And, of course, it's happening through Mike Leach. But mostly I watch the same things on TV repetitively, which are as follows. Cartoons, The Real Housewives series on Bravo. Which one again on The Real Housewives? All of them. All of them. Except for Potomac. And third is old movies and old shows, varying from Chico and the Man to Gunsmoke and uh, old movies like Death Wish 3. All right. I need to get your opinion on this because I haven't talked about it on the show yet, but I think it is an amazing story. I know you remember The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Have you seen this story? I am familiar with The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and I have not seen the story. All right. Carlton, Alfonso Ribeiro, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce his last name. Alfonso Ribeiro. Yes, Alfonso Ribeiro, Ribeiro, a.k.a. Carlton. Also from Silver Spoons with Rick Schroeder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, great point. He has sued Fortnite the game, which I'm not sure if your kids play it or not, but my kids are obsessed with Fortnite. Oh, for the dance? And, yes, NBA 2K. Because they have a Carlton dance on the games. And he's claiming that the Carlton dance is his property. If you were on a jury, would you feel like Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air deserves compensation for the Carlton dance or a version of the Carlton dance appearing in video games? Well, I am not a copyright attorney. Correct. But As nobody you know. on the jury would be either. So you would have to hear the reasoned legal arguments. But I'm just curious in general. When you, the Carlton is directly connected to Carlton, obviously. And I bet just about every single person listening to us right now knows exactly what it is. Uh, do you think that that is uh, something that he deserves compensation for? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great. It's a. It's like a legal hypothetical for for kids who are in law school. Because at what point, if Michael Jackson was still alive, do you just stop trying to sue everybody that does the moonwalk that's getting paid in the moment? Right. Correct. So if a guy's doing a concert and he does the moonwalk, does does Michael Jackson go after him, or is it such a big part of the public pantheon that? It's it's too huge. Correct, and it's now, we thing. all you know what the Carlton is. You could theoretically we and when I would, when I did copyright law, our professor gave us a hypothetical, and he said, "Could anybody ever copyright a dunk? Like you do a dunk that has never been done before? Can you in any way copyright?" And the argument's like, "No, right?" Because anything during the course of a game, it would be hard to copyright. I, I think it's a fascinating question. Like I, I don't know what the outcome here is going to be, but. Well, I don't think unless he took action when he started doing that stupid dance to protect it, and then it would probably have expired at this point. But unless he did that, I think it would be just public property to do whatever kind of dance you want to do, even in a video game. But I'm sure Ed O'Bannon and the people that sued for the video game like this is in college sports would have something to say about it. I mean, it's a it's a great outstanding and the other question is is it a work for hire because he did it as part of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, so would they control it in the same way that they would control the lines? I mean, yes, he had the silver spoons ancillary character. Yes. But he didn't he didn't own the rights to Carlton when he started doing the Fresh Prince. Just like, you know, Matt and I don't own the Petros and Money Show. We work for iHeartMedia. You own Outkick the Coverage. It's totally different. 
because you had already established yourself to a certain point, I guess, when you took the job at Fox Sports Radio. So I guess it's totally different. If you owned it back in the day and like that was your thing, if it didn't just happen naturally through the show, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which sucked, by the way. Oh, it was a great show, first of all. Sucked. I'm not going to allow you to attack the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air here on on the airwaves like this early in the morning to just come after people like this. The Fresh Prince was an amazingly good show. But I think the legal question that's a good one is, like, if somebody has a great line on a television show. Like, show me the money. Show me the money. Great example. Tom Cruise or, or Cuba Gooding Jr., they don't own that line. The people who wrote the show, the movie, they own it, right? Uh-huh. So I don't think they could go out, and I don't think Tom Cruise could sell Show Me the Money t-shirts in the extent that he wanted to make any money off Show Me the Money t-shirts. So my, my read on this would be that the Carlton dance would be owned by the Fresh Prince creators and producers. Unless it was ad-libbed by Alfonso which Ribeiro Which is probably himself. his argument, that he created it. They just said, hey, Carlton's going to dance in a funny way. Because, you know, when he is, he plays a lot of those celebrity golf tournaments and such. Yeah, oh, everybody wants him to do the Carlton everywhere. And he, he always goes. does it. Well, when he I think about shot, it. he does the Carlton. They do it at, like, the Tennessee Titan games, and I'm sure they do it at other major venues. You know, they do the dance contest, and they have, like, the little screen, and it bounces around, like, oh, we're going to pick, you know, it's going to be the floss or whatever it is. And when they hit on the Carlton, everybody knows what it is, and everybody just gets up in the stadium and starts dancing. In theory, he would be able to sue every NFL team if he were able to win this, too, because I'm certain they aren't paying – Carlton or anybody who created that dance money to be using it during an NFL stadium but I think that gets into the bigger question which is should you be able to copyright a dance I don't think you can that's why I asked you earlier like if you're on a jury that's ultimately what it's going to come down to no not Carlton's some, out not some grand legal theory initially on a jury trial it's going to come down to people sitting on the jury and just being like ah, i don't know if you i don't think you can copyright a dance yeah he's not the first guy to put his arms up and moves his legs around in an awkward fashion indeed there's a lot of white men really good at that well you've argued yeah you've argued successfully counselor yeah it's good stuff uh all right well i hope you have a fantastic christmas thank you for hanging out with us and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks who do you got by the way really quickly who are you taking in because we won't talk to you again before the uh, college football playoff games who are you taking bama or oklahoma or uh, clemson or notre dame what do you expect the title game to be i deeply want it to not be won by a southern team yeah i can imagine so you want notre dame to win then it hurts to say but yes or oklahoma oklahoma is a southern team that's not the South. That's the South. No, I go there. It's the Midwest. No, it's the South. It's not. It is. That's going to have to be an argument for 2019. Yeah, 2019 argument. Where is Oklahoma, the South or the Midwest? I think Bama's going to win it. Uh, I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. Petros Papadakis at Petros and Money. Go listen to him, AM 570 LA Sports. Many of you will finish off your day, starting off your day early in the morning in LA with me. You're going to finish it with him. Uh, very successful show there on uh, AM 570 LA Sports. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bulletin stricter stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. Take it away, Danny G. What you got? All right. This story is from Muncie Creek Township in Pennsylvania. Game commission officials there believe that they now know what led to a black bear attack earlier last week that left a woman in critical condition. The commission's investigation revealed that the bear attacked Melinda LeBaron last week when the bear had her cubs with her. According to WNEP, they believe LeBaron was attacked when she went to get her dog, which had run out towards the bear. Game wardens, they went out there with a team of tracking dogs and looked for the bear that attacked LeBaron. It dragged her over 80 yards outside her home in Muncie Creek Township. 
and since the attack, the game commission has set two live traps near LeBaron's home. She's still alive, but she's in critical condition. Yeah, that is, uh, I wouldn't even think, I don't usually think of Pennsylvania as the place where you get attacked by a bear. Tough break there. I saw this story, and I said, I appreciate everything that the firefighters do. I kind of wish they hadn't attempted this. Remember we talk about whether somebody is 11 snakes hot or whatever, how many snakes hot it is, uh, that I would basically, if I were a single guy and I were dating a woman and I walked in and there were a ton of snakes in the house, I would turn around and walk right back out. Well, this is my worst nightmare. Uh, Firefighters in Texas rescued more than 100 snakes from a home that caught fire over the weekend. Authorities say a Christmas tree may have sparked the blaze Saturday near Conroe, about 40 miles north of Houston. The snakes included pythons and boa constrictors. Authorities say when firefighters arrived, they discovered a second-floor bedroom full of snakes and lizards. I mean, I'm not kidding. This is my nightmare. I could never sleep in this build in this bedroom. Firefighters said they carefully bought, brought the snakes outside to safety, though authorities say a couple of lizards died in the fire. Uh, Houston Station reports homeowners weren't at the house. Um, I got to tell you, Maybe this makes me an awful human being. I would have been okay if the snakes had died in the fire. (laughs) I got to be honest with you. And there's no way if I'm a firefighter that I'm risking my life to save the snakes. A hundred snakes in a house should be illegal. I don't know what the rule is should be for how many snakes you can have in a house. There is no way those snakes are staying in those cages and not getting out. A hundred snakes, way too many. Way too many for one house. What else you got for me? A humorous story here from England. Marion Wisniewski, who works at the National Animal Welfare Trust Sanctuary in Berkshire, brought home a bird, a parrot, Rocco, to live with her because officials were concerned with the bird's use of profanity in front of visitors. So she took the parrot home. Problem? The parrot has been using her Amazon Alexa. Yeah, I've heard about this, to (laughs) order things. Yes, Rocco quickly started to use her Amazon Alexa to order toys, watermelons, raisins, broccoli, and ice cream. She started going over her Alexa logs each day to cancel Rocco's purchases. She says the bird also tried to buy a kite and a light bulb. You know, this is crazy, but... um I think this is happening with Alexa a lot and also with just Amazon in general. The other day, a big package arrived at our house, and uh, it was addressed to my 8-year-old. And we were like, oh, man, is he getting a big Christmas present? Like, what is this? It was like a Christmas story. Everybody kind of gathered around to see what uh, what my 8-year-old was going to get. And we saw that it was from another kid in the neighborhood. Like, I mean, the, his mom, you know, like the return address. And when we opened it up, it was like 50 air filters. And what happens is people are ordering things for Amazon and the address is getting attached if you order it from Alexa with the previous, I've heard this from other people, with the previous person that you sent it to. So like the air filter thing is kind of funny that they, they just got like 50 air filters sent to our house. But can you imagine if you were actually ordering something embarrassing or a little bit, a uh, little bit to something that you didn't want everybody else to know about on Amazon and then it got shipped to somebody else's house? Like, that, that is a recipe for disaster, right? And you could think about it being something as simple as, you know, like, uh, you know, birth control or condoms or something like that. Or, God forbid, sex toys. Like, whatever the most humiliating thing that you have ever ordered from Amazon. Let's say you're going on a bachelor or bachelorette party and you just, you know, like, I, I can just think of a ton of things that could get ordered through Amazon and go to the wrong house. And then, uh, and then it happens. And by the way, I also hear from a ton of people who listen to this show on there, Alexa, that whenever we mentioned Alexa, it just throws everything all crazy. My kids, my wife will sometimes put the show on when I come downstairs and after I finish the show, she'll have it on and uh, and the kids will be listening to it there sitting around the Alexa, but it messes up every time you mention the word Alexa while it's airing on Alexa, one of the quirks they have to figure out. Quick here, a camera drone captured video of the moment of three killer whales approaching a swimmer at a New Zealand beach. She thought they were dolphins until she noticed their coloring. She got scared that the killer whales might mistake her for a seal due to her black wetsuit. So she was able to get out of the water after they circled her. And then this lady, Ballsy, she decided a little later to go back into the water. The pod of killer whales decided to join her. And she says they were interested and as curious about me as I was about them. 
p.m. She told one news. Yeah, that's not what I'm doing. No, me neither. Not what I'm doing either, especially <laughs> if she's dressed like a seal. Um, I'm not trusting the Killer Wells distinction to be able to make uh, an understanding between a human and a uh, and a, and a seal. And, and also, a snack. those <laughs> fish, those whales, I guess, those mammals are huge. They're massive, and swimming beside a really big fish, a really big animal in the water, not comfortable. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare top thrill 2 is like no other course two 420 foot vertical speedways three launches all right let's talk strategy Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.